And Lord Jesus, this morning, we receive your word through the servant that you have prepared for this hour, for this day, with a word not just spoken but lived in his heart. We bless our brother Stephen, his friendship and partnership here in this house. Dear Jesus. And Lord, we receive him together here today. Thank you, Jesus. In the name of the Lord. We receive the word of the Lord through our brother today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. All God's people said. Amen. Amen. Would you please join me in welcoming our brother, Stephen Ugan, and you may be seated. Amen. Bless you. Bless you. Thank you. Just a quick uh, introduction for those of you that are new here at Bethel. I'm Pastor Jim, by the way. I serve as senior pastor here at Bethel for a long time. Um, each year we do a theme of the year, sort of a prophetic direction of where we sense the Lord taking us and leading us as a congregation. And this year, it's a year to engage. If you remember back, which I do, but you might not, we began the year with talking about being called and then being sent and then being equipped with certain function. And this summer, we've been talking about things to take off so that we can run with him. Stephen Ugin is the founder uh, and director of Trinity Works, which is a radical evangelism outreach to the Twin Cities. Uh, Stephen and his wife, Casey, and their family have been part of our family here for several years now. And one of the things that we began praying for several years ago was that the Lord would send us a spirit of evangelism and send us because God's doing such wonderful things. We want to you know, the, as Pastor Sam talks about, the in, up, and out. We want to not just belong and believe, but we want to become those messengers that God has for us to become. And so Stephen is here with a word to share with us this morning about the heart of God. And so I just encourage you to open up your heart to him and to the Lord as he brings that word to us. Once more, would you join me in welcoming Stephen? Wow. It's really good to be here this morning. Um, for the last couple months, I have been going around to different churches. One of the things that our ministry is called to do is to mobilize the church to the heart of God, to first love intimacy, and to the harvest. And so I've been going around to various churches in the Twin Cities, and it's really good to be home. <laughs> this has been an awesome place for our family to come and to rest and be refreshed and restored and one of the things that I've realized about this house is how blessed we are to actually be uh, in this house. How many feel blessed that this is your home church and a place you can come? I tell you what, I've, I've been to a lot of churches and there's a couple really unique and powerful things. And sometimes we need to be reminded of those about our own house because we start to take it for granted. But I want to tell you something, this is a place... Look around. Just look around the room. This is the nations. I mean, the nations are in this church. This is a little snapshot of heaven, of the kingdom of God that's going to be revealed. I'm telling you, every tribe, every tongue, every people group, this is an amazing gift to be here and to hear uh, people worshiping in, uh, you know, from the, in Nepali and people praying in French. And I mean, isn't that just incredible? It's just so awesome. The other thing that I was struck with about this house is that it is a place where the Spirit of God is fully embraced, but it is anchored in the truth of the Word. There are houses out there that are anchored in the truth of the Word because I think to some extent they're afraid of some of the manifestations of the Spirit. 
And then we've got other parts of the body of Christ that are in the other ditch where they're going crazy and having supernatural experiences, but it's not anchored in the Word. How many know we need both? We need both, and that's what this house carries. And so I'm so grateful uh, to be here and to be a part of this. And I actually felt something that the Lord put on my heart. I know this was not scripted, um, but i just like to ask because this house didn't just get this way. It's the result of faithful men and women who have carried the heart of God and shepherded it well and said yes to the Lord in the secret place and gone through the trials and endured the hardships to steward God's call and His purpose on this house. So I just felt impressed by the Lord to ask if the pastors and the elders would stand. I just want to pray a blessing on these leaders and their spouses, please, because I know their spouses are equally a part of this Would elders and pastors please just quickly stand? And would you come around them and just lay your hands on them? We're just going to pray a blessing and thank God for these leaders in this house. If you're near them, just go ahead and put your hand on them. Um, Go ahead and do that. We're just going to pray a blessing on them, thanking God for His faithfulness in their lives. Father, we thank You for leaders. You say in Your Word that we should honor those that are worthy of honor. And so, Holy Spirit, I thank You for these faithful ones who have labored, God, in the place of prayer for this house, Lord, who do the hard work of seeking your face throughout the week, that we could come and come into your presence. And we just ask for your blessing over them. We ask for your protection from the evil one, that you would strengthen their spirits, strengthen their hearts, God, to finish the race, that you would continue to pour out your faithfulness on them as they walk faithfully before you. We thank you for uh, what you've done in this house and what you're going to do. And we ask these things in the name of your son Jesus and for his glory. And God's people said, Amen. Hallelujah. All right, let's give a round of applause, son, of what God is doing in this house. The pastors uh, and leaders of this house have really sought the Lord and been very intentional about asking him how to raise us up as a people in the, in the character of Christ. And they've, the framework that they've received from the Lord is this in, up, and out framework. In being fellowship of the believers, the discipleship, and the formation of godly character on the inside of us that comes through teaching and through fellowship together with other believers. Up, which is obviously our vertical focus on God. That needs to be at the forefront. Amen? Keep our first love first, spending time with Him in the secret place, and also coming together corporately and worshiping Him. Up is very important. But there's a third part to that, and that's the out part. Um, That's the part that I hope the Lord is going to come and emphasize here this morning. It's wonderful to gather together with other believers. It's wonderful to come and to worship the Lord. But I want to say something, and these things all support and perpetuate one another But they need to be unto the harvest because there are many, many others, family members, neighbors, co-workers that have yet to hear the good news that God has made a way to be reconciled to himself, that he's real, that he wants relationship with us from Genesis to Revelation. That's his purpose. Jesus didn't, didn't just die to give us a get out of hell free card. Jesus died so that we could have relationship with a real God who wants to be part of our lives and speak to us. This is very significant. Um, There's a a flyer in the bulletin on Mosaic Groups, as well as Messenger Boot Camp. We're going to be talking about those a little later. 
But I believe the Lord is creating very real ways for you to say yes to his call to go into the nations. And as we realize just being in this room, we don't have to go overseas to go to the nations. Although that's awesome. And I am just delighted when I, I I mean, I am so excited about Gracie Gaten going to the nations. I mean, my heart is just so stirred. I just feel the Father's heart. She she has just been a a part of, we've we've had the honor and privilege of being part of her life and seeing the Lord raise her up as a powerful messenger of the gospel. So I'm expecting amazing stories to come back from the wheresgracieblogspot.com. Come on, somebody. Whoa, I'm signing up for that one. I want to I tell you a little bit about my story because some of you may not know me or the background that I came from, and I think it helps you understand just kind of the journey that I've been on. Uh, about 15 years ago or so in the late 90s, I was uh, going through law school at the University of Minnesota, came out of law school, uh, became a corporate attorney. Um, my faith background was nothing. <laughs> I had uh, grown up in a Lutheran church, but you know, there was no living relationship with Christ that was represented there. So I had heard the stories. I'd been water baptized as a baby. I'd made it through confirmation. I even think I got a t-shirt. I know I got a Bible. Uh, But it never laid hold of me, the reality of the kingdom of God. How many know you can know all this stuff, but if you haven't encountered the reality of God, it doesn't mean anything. You can be a religious Christian and be totally lost. You can know all the right words to say and not know God at all. It's not so much about saying yes to certain truth claims, beloved, as it is having a vibrant personal relationship with a real God. Hallelujah. Oh my goodness. I'm pretty excited about the gospel. I got really saved, as you're going to hear. I I moved into the top floor of a building in downtown Minneapolis bought a a high-end BMW, bought a bunch of Armani suits. If you don't know what Armani suits are, they're Italian and they cost a lot of money. I I began flying around the country, staying at the W Hotel, uh, renting out limousines and town cars on the weekends. I spent many, many boardroom meetings with millionaires and even billionaires, people who had more money than they knew what to do with. And I thought I had made it. I thought I had made it. I thought, this is the American dream. Graduated from a top 20 law school. I had everything going for me. And I had no idea I had nothing going for me from a spiritual standpoint. In fact, if you would have talked to me, I would have said, I'm very spiritual. The problem with my spirituality at that time and the problem with much of the spirituality that you're going to encounter as you speak to your neighbors and you speak to unsafe family members and friends is that my spirituality never got in the way of how I wanted to live. And that's actually at the core of the gospel. You know you've really met the real God when he starts messing with your life. Come on, somebody. Anybody had their life messed with? I've been really messed with. That's how I know I'm dealing with the real thing. This isn't a figment of my imagination. He says things that I don't want to do. Isn't that comforting? So you know it's not you. You know this is real. He's really holy. In fact, he's way holier than we think. Come on. When I had an encounter, and I'm not going to go into all the details of that because I believe there's something in God's heart that he wants to bring forward this morning to bring us into his heart in a deeper way. When I had an encounter, 
I had an encounter with the third person of the Holy Spirit. I was not looking for the Lord at that time. I had a personal assistant who had been a backslidden believer, ended up inviting me into a, to go to a non-denominational church. I said, no thanks, been there, done that. Again, got the t-shirt. But a few more storms came, and I got a little more open. A few more storms came into life. How many know God uses storms to get our attention? I wish it were a different way, beloved, but we are a stubborn people. We are a hard-hearted people. And, uh, you know, it takes storms normally to bring us to brokenness. Having done this for 10 years and watched people as they make decisions and surrender their lives, usually Jesus is the last option, even though Jesus is the best option. It's just crazy. Um, but I, I had an encounter. I wasn't in church. I was at home in my home office talking to the mother of my assistant on the phone, shared about 10 minutes of my story. She began to pray and she was praying with an authority that I had never experienced before. I mean, the power of God came down. And this presence came and washed over me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Like liquid love, liquid grace, liquid peace. It was, it was, it was like fire up and down my body. I'd never experienced anything like it. And I ended up, this hardcore corporate attorney, on my knees with tears streaming down my face. And I knew in an instant, because the knowledge of God comes by revelation, not by information. I knew in an instant that I had not lived for God, that I had just encountered Him, and from that day forward I was living for Him. And I realized over the next couple days, as that presence stayed with me, I found out what that presence was. I didn't even have language for it to begin with. It was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gave me a desire to read this, which I had never had before. I had tried to read it before. I had said, oh, yeah, um, yeah, Levitical law. I'd close it. It would be like watching paint dry. Or I'd rather get a nosebleed than, than, than read this. But now all of a sudden, I'm, it was like gobbledygook. It didn't even make sense to me. But now all of a sudden, the words are coming alive. And God begins speaking into my heart. And I realize as I read the book of Acts, this is what happened to me. I didn't even understand the gospel at that point. I just knew God was real. And it was there I found out that it was because of what Jesus had done that I could come into his presence and experience his love and his mercy and his grace. So my testimony is that God is real and this book is his word. After a few weeks, I realized there's a higher pleasure than all these things I had been looking for all my life. There's a higher pleasure. Because the presence of God in that moment was better than drugs, better than sex, but come on somebody, better than anything I'd ever experienced before. Let's get real. The Spirit of the Lord is better than sin. And so God's heart is that we would pursue His presence with the same fervency that we pursued the pleasure of sin. How much more should we ple- you know, seek after that holy and that righteous pleasure of his presence amen i immediately out of this encounter and this revelation that i'd experienced something better than all these things i had been looking for i thought to myself oh my goodness all my friends and family members have no idea that this is all true and real i've got to tell them right away and and it was out of an earnest desire i just wanted them to experience the presence of god i just wanted them to experience the love of god How many have just longed for for people that you know to experience what you've experienced about God? 
Isn't it? I mean, it's just, so I didn't go to evangelism school or, you know, nobody told me what to do. I just, out of that desire, that raw desire to have others experience this, I began going up to people. I, I felt the Lord sort of put them on my heart and telling them what had happened to me. And by his grace and mercy in those early days, I had many, many of my friends and family, you know, I'd get about three responses. One was like total horror, like who are you and who invaded my friend? You know what I mean? The other one was kind of, you know, the interesting, you know, kind of reserved interesting. And the third was, oh my goodness, I need this Jesus. That's the one I'm looking for. (laughs) Come on, somebody, because that's the one you know the Holy Spirit's already been working on the inside of them. All we're doing is we're partnering with him and saying, God, who is it? Who's ready? What do I need to say? What do I need to do? And we partner with that. It's this amazing partnership. And I, I, began to, I began to carry that burden out of that place. My sister came to the Lord. My father, after a year and a half, came to the Lord. Um, he took a little longer. He had a PhD. So that was in the way. Sometimes there's some little bumps in the road. But I know for a fact Jesus can get a hold of lawyers and PhDs. And drug addicts. Love Teen Challenge. What an awesome ministry. We get to partner with them. They are Awesome. We've got a couple guys actually in the house, Paul Hubinet and Keegan, who both are graduates of that program, man. So I've seen the fruit of it. Praise the Lord for Teen Challenge. Um, I also began to, uh, you know, but I, I started to get a little bit, I, I started to carry this burden into public places. I would go to the grocery store and I would go to Target and I'd go to the post office and I'd start looking at people's faces and realizing, you know, once you have the spirit of God inside of you, you start realizing that there's people that don't have the spirit of God inside of them and their faces are just lonely and broken and empty. There's so much pain in the world and you can just see it on people's faces if you take a moment to look at them. And I I just began to carry this burden in my heart. I'm like, Lord, there's a lot of lost people. There's a lot of people that don't know you. There's a lot of people that don't know that there's joy, insurpassable, that's available when we surrender our hearts to you. And so out of that burden, I began to just reach out and start to talk to people, start to talk to strangers. I felt the Holy Spirit said, go tell that guy. I'm like, I don't know that guy. He said, I do. (laughs) Good enough for me. I'll go. And I messed it up a bunch of times, you guys. This isn't about like super apostolic evangelists. They're the ones, you know, not everybody's going to come into the kingdom through Billy Graham and Louis Plow. Most people are going to come into the kingdom because they get an invitation from someone who's a weak and broken person who just knows where to find bread and points someone else into the kingdom. He delights to use the weak and broken. I mean, he uses the super anointed, but he uses the somewhat anointed too. I mean, and that's who I am, somewhat anointed. I'm I'm in progress. I'm on the way. The other thing that I felt, you know, I started to go out and, you know, I'd go to the state fair would kill me. I'd go to the state, how many went to the state fair this week? I, I would go to the state fair and just the sea of lostness and the weight of it, you know, and, I, and God does that just to let, get us, give us little glimpses into his heart. And so I began crying out to him and I said, Lord, how is this going to happen? I mean, what's your plan? What's your plan to get these people saved? I mean, hell is real. Heaven is real. You know, what's your plan? And as we cried out, the Lord said, the plan is what it's always been. I'm going to mobilize my church to my heart. And when they hear my heart, they're going to go out and do the works of the kingdom. 
And they're going to see people saved. They're going to see their family members saved. They're going to see their neighbors saved. They're going to see their coworkers saved. They're going to see their friends at school saved and coming into the kingdom of God. I began searching the scriptures. This is a 10-year process. I'm going to kind of summarize in about 10 minutes. But I'm going to take you into the, some of the scriptures that the Lord used on my journey to really show me what his heart is. And the first one we're going to go to is 2 Peter chapter 3. Go there with me. If you've got your Bibles or if you don't have your Bible, reach up and grab one of those pew Bibles, those awesome NIVs. Grab a hold of one and flip to 2 Peter. It's right after 1 Peter. Powerful directional assistance from the platform. <laughs> if you're at 2 Peter, would you give me an amen? A smattering of amens. We're going to go for it. Here's what he says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Verse 9. I'll give you the final digit of that address. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Let me tell you why this is important. God wants everyone to be saved. That is his heart desire. Absolutely every person that you walk by has an eternal destiny that God has in his heart for them, and they're waiting for an invitation into the kingdom from someone just like you. He wants our family members saved. He wants our neighbors saved, our coworkers. He wants them saved more than we do. Our job is to partner with him in the process. Jesus commands us through the Great Commission to share the gospel with everyone. Let's go to Mark 16 to share the gospel with everyone. And as he's speaking to his disciples in Mark 16, there was a passage in your bulletin from Mark uh, Matthew 28, it's another version of the Great Commission. These, these particular passages carry some significant weight, and I want to tell you why. In these passages, both at the end of Mark and at the end of Matthew, Jesus has already given his life on the cross. He's gone down into the grave. He's conquered sin and death. He's taken the keys of death from the enemy, and he's brought them back, and he's meeting with his disciples, and he's giving last words of instruction. Jesus knows what lies ahead of them. Jesus knows that they're going to experience tremendous persecution. Many of the ones he's talking to will lose their lives in the cause of the gospel. So the words that he leaves with them are very significant. These are his final instructions, if you will, before he ascends to sit at the right hand of the Father and continue to labor in intercession that the Father's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which happens largely when we say yes to him. When we say yes, God tells us what his will is. When we offer up our weak yes, guess what happens? The kingdom gets released. It doesn't happen without agreement on earth. That's why he taught us to pray that prayer. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're going to read out of Mark 16, 15 and 16, knowing these are last instructions from the Lord. Verse 15, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Everyone is everyone. Amen? I looked at the original Greek and Hebrew. Guess what it means? Everyone. Everyone. I've checked every translation. Guess what they all come back with? Everyone. 
This is rock-solid biblical truth we can anchor our lives on. We've been called, and, and every single one of you, I want to just say this, because some of you may not feel that you're evangelists, and you're probably right, you, you are not in the office of an evangelist. But every one of you is a missionary by the Great Commission. Turn to your right and say, you're a missionary. And just so they don't get self-righteous, turn back to the left and tell them, you're a missionary. You are plan A. You are the ones that God is sending to your family. You're the ones that God's sending to your neighborhood. You're it. You're the, you're, you're the plan. And so as we embrace that, God will meet us in our weakness and our brokenness and fill us with power to actually walk that out. But we have to acknowledge that we're plan A. Amen. And we should be sober about the Great Commission when we realize that God's primary way of revealing Himself to the world is through us. Go with me to Romans 10. Go with me to Romans 10. God could just come down and He could reveal His glory to the whole earth and you know what would happen? Everyone would drop to their faces and acknowledge that He was God. And I want to tell you something. There's a day when He is going to do that. The Scriptures tell us that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Every atheist, every agnostic, every Buddhist, every Hindu, every New Ager will bow down and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. The issue, beloved, is that day is too late to make a saving profession of faith. That's just a day to acknowledge His Lordship. That's the, what the Bible describes as the great and terrible day. It's great if you're in right relationship with the Lord. But it's terrible if you're not. And so the Lord on this side of that day has, is challenging us to partner with Him that everyone will have a real opportunity to hear Him and And we find out this is his primary plan in Romans 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody say everyone. Everyone. Oh, there's that word again. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Are you seeing this, beloved? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Are you seeing this, beloved? That God has said, I am going to partner with you through the proclamation of the word. Did you notice they need to be told, actually? We need to demonstrate and proclaim the gospel, okay? It's a lot easier to demonstrate. It's the proclaiming that usually trips people up. It's, it's pretty easy to hold the door open and say, God bless you. It's when you've got to have that hard conversation and talk about the gospel that you're really putting the relationship on the line. Amen? And so we want to pray for boldness to make those transitions from demonstration to the proclamation of the gospel. This is an awesome honor and privilege, but it's also an awesome responsibility. And I remember the day that the Lord struck my heart with this revelation. It was out of Ezekiel 33. Go there with me. Ezekiel 33, verse 7 to 9. Now, son of man, I'm making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you fail to tell them to change their ways, 
then they will die in their sins and I'll hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn them to repent and they don't repent, they will die in their sins, but you will have saved yourself. And as I read this passage, I really started to get it. God has done exactly that through the gospel. He's he's announced that there's a day that he is going to judge the nations and he's going to judge every single man, woman, and child on that day based on the righteousness of Christ. And he's given us that message through the scriptures, through the proclamation of the word, through the faithfulness of the apostles and the prophets and the pastors and the teachers throughout the generations have faithfully stewarded this message to us. And now he's challenging us with this. And I want to say this because this is heavy. I want to say the glorious freedom of this passage is this. You are not responsible for saving anyone. You cannot save anyone. You can't do anything to bring somebody into the kingdom of God. That's wholly a work of the Holy Spirit. But you are charged, and I charge you in the presence of the Lord, you, you are charged to deliver that message to those that God has assigned to you. Your friends, your family members, your neighbors, your co-workers, those that he's put in relationship with you, the ones the Holy Spirit's highlighting to you, those are the ones you're charged to speak to. And yet even though the scriptures are clear about our mandate to share the gospel, what I've found, and in my own struggles in my own heart, I've realized, man, there's a lot of the church is not engaged in this mission to seek and save that which is lost. This seems to be the last thing that people want to pick up and carry. And there's reasons for that. And I began to ask God why. Initially, I was a little bit frustrated. Someone who's sitting in the office of an evangelist, I'm like, why don't people get it? And I think we all feel that about the revelations that God's given us to carry and steward. So initially, I was a little bit frustrated and immature and self-righteous. But I've learned through my own brokenness that this is a battle that we all have to struggle with. How do we say yes to God when it actually costs us something? How do we say yes to God when it might cost us a relationship? How, does, how do we say yes to God when we might look weird in front of other people? What if they don't like us after we talk about Jesus? What if they hate us? We've got some that have settled the issue. That's awesome. This tells us that's what's going to happen when we begin to agree with him in that way. But there's some awesome reasons why we should do it. And we're going to talk about those this morning. I'm going to share a few things that the Lord's revealed in my own heart that keep us from saying yes to the gospel and yes to the Great Commission. And I think these are important for us because when we know what the issue is in our own heart that's keeping, holding us back, it shows us what we can cry out for. Because ultimately this isn't going to come from you white-knuckling it and saying, okay, I'm going to resolve myself to start sharing the gospel this week. Because you know what? That's going to fade in about three or four days, if not by lunch. You don't, you don't need another fiery message telling you what you need to do, okay? We've, we've heard enough of those. We all know what to do. But what we want to address is where are the places of brokenness inside of us that keep us from crying out to God for what we need to actually do what he's calling us to do? So I want to talk about that real briefly. And there's four things... I'm going to hit on for those of you who are taking notes. There's no PowerPoint. I'm not going to deal with three of them very long because I want to get to the fourth. That one, that's the one that's burning in my heart. Um, and I want to share a personal testimony of how God baptized me in his heart in this area. But the first one is fear. Fear. How many have experienced fear? Just a show of quick hands. In the context of sharing the gospel. 
You're not alone. Thank you for being honest. This is real. It's hard. We don't want to do this. Largely because from being little children, we've been raised in a culture that tells you that your value and your worth are based on what other people think about you. And it's not based on that, beloved. It's based on what one God-man thinks about you, what your Father in heaven thinks about you. Your friends will not be sitting on the throne on that day. Your parents will not be on the throne. Your teachers will not be on the throne. Your professors will not be on the throne. There is one, one person that you need to be concerned about, and that is the Lord God Almighty. And when we settle that and we understand who we are, we're able to overcome fear. And I, wanna, I wish I had a simple one, two, three, come up, get impartation, you're going to be free from fear. And that may happen for some of you. It's a journey normally for most of us. I still have moments where I'm afraid of certain assignments that God gives me. Every time I get a confidence in one level of boldness, it seems like the Holy Spirit wants to mess with me and ask me to do something crazier for Jesus, like base jumping off of buildings downtown into the gay pride parade. I'm serious. That's insanity. He just keeps messing with me. And I know he wants to mess with you in this area because he has a burning desire to see your family and your friends in relationship with himself. He is burning on the inside for them to know who he is. So fear is one, and the only way to really overcome it is to face it. That's it. There's no easy one, two, three. We've got to face it and be deliberate and put ourselves in situations that we know we're going to be uncomfortable because that's the only time that we're actually going to go, Holy Spirit, you've got to show up because I feel like a dork right now. Okay? I just walked over to a neighbor. I don't even know who they are, and we have nothing in common. You better show up. And guess what happens? He does. He does. Because if, if it's that person's time to come into the kingdom, you could say purple cow, and guess what's going to happen? The Holy Spirit's going to fall. They're going to get saved and come into the kingdom. This isn't about our eloquence. Okay? Isn't that freedom? You just show up, you open your mouth, and the oracles of God come out. You're like, I don't know how that happened, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. The second, the second thing, the second stronghold that I've noticed in my own heart is apathy. I read the word. I know what I'm supposed to do. I hear a fiery message. I get stirred on the inside. But it seems like a few days later, just the encroachment of the spirit of the age just lays hold of my heart again. And before you know it, I'm watching Desperate Housewives and I didn't even get, not even thinking about the day of the Lord. That's a slight exaggeration. I don't watch Desperate Housewives. But, but, but that's an example of how we get drawn into worthless things when we have eternal destinies. That we have the opportunity to partner with God to change the eternal destiny. A trillion years from now, you're not going to be worried about paying your bills. 500 million years from now, you're not going to worry about your 401k or where you're going to go to have lunch or how you're going to fix this problem or that problem. The only thing that's going to matter are those things you did that have eternal consequences. And beloved, saving souls forever is eternal. There is nothing of more value that you could engage in on this side of the day of the Lord. So apathy and dullness are something that lay hold of our hearts. The third is busyness. Busyness. I, I, you know, I can't talk to ten people and not have nine of them in our culture tell me that they're busy. Anybody ever heard that? You ask somebody how they're doing, they go, oh man, I'm busy. I'm busy. This should not be a shock to us. This was prophesied in the book of Daniel. 
He said knowledge will increase and people will run to and fro in the last days. How many feel like we've got people running to and fro? In our information age, 24-7, we've got news stories about things we never needed to hear about on 100 channels at the same time. Okay, we've got enough information. So busyness is an enemy of the kingdom of God. I can't tell you how many times when we start mobilizing for people for outreach, I feel like the king in Luke 14 who sends out the messengers and says, come to the great banquet. And everybody starts coming up with all these reasons why they can't come. You remember this from Luke 14? They said, well, I just got married. I can't come. Oh, I just got a new oxen. I got to try it out. I can't come. And he gets so angry about that. And I think it's, I feel the same way when we're trying to mobilize the church. Like, we're like, hey, guys, we're going to go do outreach this week. How are you doing? Oh, I got a, I'm, somebody yawned. I can't make it. Oh, I, I've got a hangnail. I'm sorry. It's an emergency. They're driving me down to the ER right now. This hangnail is horrible. And I'm exaggerating, beloved. And I know there's legitimate reasons. I'm not saying you have to come to every, if we call you, don't come under condemnation because you can't come to the outreach. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to expose our hearts. I believe that's what the Lord wants to do. I mean, if there's anything else we can do besides do something uncomfortable, we'll gravitate towards that. That's just the way we are. And then the last one I want to hit on, this is the one I want to go deep on, is lack of revelation. Lack of revelation. There are lots of things that we can know about the Word of God. There's a lot of information we have. But the most important journey about this, from, you know, of the Scriptures is to make that 12-inch trip from our heads down to our spirits. Because information doesn't change the way we live. And we can know about the Great Commission. We can know that these people are lost and that they're going to be separated from God in eternal torment forever. We can know that information, but until it becomes revelation in our heart that lays hold of us at such and grips us at such a level that it causes us to change the way we live, it won't produce eternal fruit. And so I'm praying this morning... And, and there's going to be an opportunity to respond to this message where the Lord will come and impart revelation for you personally. Because my revelation isn't going to carry you. I mean, I believe that the Lord is going to speak to many of you as I share the journey that I took. But this needs to be personal for you. He's a personal God. And he's to speak to us in our own heart language. The first revelation that I feel like we lack is we don't understand the joy of witnessing. We think about the fear and the reasons that we don't do it, but there's actually joy. There's joy in witnessing, beloved. I'm telling you, I've experienced it. It messes me up. I'll be struggling on the way to an outreach all the time, and I know all these things. I have revelation about these things, so I'm still battling fear and apathy and dullness and busyness, and I'll be wrestling with the Lord, and I'll get to the outreach, and I'll tell you what happens after the first divine appointment, after the first time the Holy Spirit falls, and I'm talking to a total stranger in the mall or on the street, and all of a sudden their eyes begin to water and tears begin to stream down their face, and they say, I need Jesus. Guess what happened to all my complaining and kvetching? I, it turns into repentance. And I go, I can't believe it, God. I almost missed this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for sending me to outreach. But there's a pushing through to get to that place. But I'm telling you, there is joy. Jesus talks about it in John 4, 35 and 36. He says, the fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages. How many want good wages? 
Not just wages here, okay? Your 401K is going to go with you. When you go into the grave, it's gone. But how many want to store up good wages forever? The scriptures say those who win souls are wise. The book of Daniel says, those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. Anybody want to shine like the stars forever? Sounds good, huh? (laughs) I know Chris Rush does. He's a radical messenger. But it's not only our joy, it's the Father's joy. I was down in Kansas City this last week, and uh, we came back from the International House of Prayer. We were visiting with some leaders down there and just taking some time to uh, enjoy my wife, my bride of nine years. Praise the Lord for you, honey. Hallelujah, man. Thank God for godly wives. And uh, we came back, and one of the people that was watching our children said, hey, we, you know, we had a teenager come over from our neighborhood. He just stops in every three or four months. Um, and normally he's been real resistant to the gospel. But as we were sitting around just talking, your daughter Grace, who's eight years old, began sharing the gospel with such clarity and power that he was riveted to the words that she was speaking. And then he began asking real questions that were in his heart about the gospel message. And she was answering him by the Spirit with boldness and conviction. Then she came over to him and she laid her hands on him and he, she prayed that the power of the Holy Spirit would come and reveal Jesus to him. And as, she's, as they're relaying this story to me, you, you want to know what I felt like? I got flooded with joy. I got flooded with joy. I'm like, oh my goodness, Jesus, you're so good. This is so awesome. How many want your children to be walking in God and just doing the great works of the kingdom? Come on, what an honor and a privilege. And in that moment where I was just celebrating it, the Spirit of God came upon my heart. He said, Stephen, that's how I feel when you share the gospel. How many want to bring joy to our Father's heart? Share the gospel. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Another revelation that we don't carry is that we don't understand how much God loves the lost. I mean, we know God loves the lost, and we know God loves us. But it's very difficult for us to carry the the infinite, eternal, how deep, how wide, how long. We'll never know the ends of His love. It's a progressive revelation. I mean, when I first came into the kingdom, I felt like I had some measure of God's heart for the lost. But as I've been asking for it, He's been so faithful to give it to me. How many know that this is about asking? This isn't about like you get saved and all of a sudden you get the download for everything you need for the rest of your life and you don't need to talk to God anymore. This is a relational thing that we've got going with him. He wants to show us what's missing in our hearts, call us to come to him and to pray and to ask him for it. And then guess what he does when we do that? He gives it to us. When you ask for his heart for the lost, he's not going to give you a scorpion or a serpent. He's a good, good father. He's going to give you what you ask for. And I want to share, share, share a story. And this is going to be the last thing that I share with you this morning. And then you're going to have an opportunity to respond to what the Spirit is speaking into your heart. I want to share a story of how he brought me deeper because I had a measure of it into his heart. It was about two years ago. Um, actually, this, is, this week is the anniversary of two years ago. Um, I was experiencing intense fellowship with my wife. How many know what intense fellowship is? It's a super spiritual way of saying we were fighting. You can use that at no charge. 
if you ever find yourself in a situation of explaining why you're not in the spirit. I just got done having intense fellowship with my wife. I'm on the road to recovery. So I was having intense fellowship, and all of a sudden I felt something in my chest that felt like I was grieving the Holy Spirit, which I probably was, because it grieves the Holy Spirit when we fight. But it was worse than anything I'd ever imagined, a twisting in my chest. I said, honey, I'm not feeling okay. And that ended the fight really quick. How many know that the, the, the prospect of death or near death changes the spiritual atmosphere, changes what's important in life? I know Stan knows. I know my wife knows. Anybody who's, who's been around someone who's dying, it changes everything. When you're standing on the precipice of eternity, there's a whole lot of big issues that get really small really fast. Come on, somebody. And that's what happened for me. We called the ambulance. We were believing in faith for healing, but the, we felt the Lord was saying, call the ambulance. When Jesus says, call the ambulance, what do you do? Call the ambulance. Okay, don't be that spiritual, Okay. So I got in the ambulance. You never know what he's doing. So I got in the ambulance. They gave me the nitro tablet. That's what they do. That's kind of a first response to someone having a heart attack. They were checking my vitals. They brought me in. They did a blood test. Um, Was not feeling all right. On the way over in the ambulance, I found myself repenting for every sin I could think of. That's another thing that happens when you come to the edge of eternity. Is your spirit knows that it needs to get right with God. So I didn't care at that point what anybody else thought about me. I just was thinking about one person and what they thought about me in that moment. We got to the ER. They did the tests. Nothing showed up. They waited four hours, did another blood test. Nothing showed up. They said, you can stay overnight, but, you know, you can go home, do a follow-up appointment. Doesn't look like there's any heart damage that's taken place. So I didn't feel totally right, but I felt good enough to go home. I went home and slept. Uh, A few days later, I still wasn't feeling totally 100%, but I was maybe 95% better. Went to lead worship for, we had uh, invited an international ministry to come in. We had many church partners and local ministry partners that were gathered together. The first of a series of meetings on awakening here in the city. Uh, We were over at Teen Challenge. How many know about Teen Challenge, man? Come on, there it is again. We were over at Teen Challenge. God just weaves it all in, man. Teen Challenge is part of the story. So I'm leading worship, and in the middle of worship, my left arm goes completely numb, and I begin to have that pain in my chest again. And I hear the Spirit of God go, go to the back of the room and listen very carefully. Wow. Sober moment. So I got down off the platform, went to the back of the room. The Lord said to me, you're going to go to this hospital. You're going to stop by your home. I want you to talk to your wife. I want you to get your affairs in order. I want you to kiss your children. Say goodbye to them. I didn't know what that meant. Say goodbye to them. So they brought me home. I did that. I shared with my wife. I said, honey, I really think the Lord may be taking me. And she said, I don't receive that. I said, okay. Praise the Lord for wives that don't receive that you're dying. (laughs) I still wasn't convinced, although that was encouraging. I knew where her heart was coming from. She brought me to the hospital. I said goodbye to my children. That was powerful also. Brought me to the hospital, checked me in, wasn't feeling right at all, literally was feeling like, how many know you know when something on the inside of you is not right, and you know when you are near death? Your spirit knows when you are near death. That's all I can, that's all I can explain. I knew, I was totally aware of how thin that silver cord that Ecclesiastes says is over each one of our lives. Every single person in this room is one heartbeat away from passing into eternity. 
And this is real, beloved. We, most of us live in the illusion that we're going to live another 20, 30, 40 years when the truth of the matter is, at any moment, we're, we are breathing, our heart is beating by the grace of God, moment by moment by moment. And I became very aware of that in this process. They did a bunch of tests, kept me overnight, did the stress test, which if any of you know, they shoot you up with a nuclear material, take a bunch of pictures of your heart to make sure that there's no blockage. The test results came back and they couldn't find anything. Like, Jesus, what is going on? They sent us home over the next few days. I felt the Spirit of God say, clear your schedule. I said, okay, I'm going to clear my schedule. We were coming up on a week break, so that would give me about two weeks off. I was just going to seek the Lord and ask him, what what is going on? Because clearly, you are trying to speak to me and say something to me. Even though the medical professionals can't find anything, there is something going on in the inside of me. And I didn't feel totally right at that time as well. I began to dig into the scriptures over the next few days. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but it didn't matter where I went. Whether it was Genesis, Leviticus, the Psalms, uh, the epistles, the gospels, everywhere I went, death and dying were popping out at me. I'm like, what is going on? You know, have, has anybody experienced that? Where the Lord's trying to speak to you and it doesn't matter where you go, the words are popping off at you and, and leading you in that direction. And so about two or three days into this, I'm realizing, okay, there's a theme here. Death and dying. And in a moment in my devotional time, the Lord began to just download to me about 16 or 17, I call them, prophetic markers, times in my life where he had shown me that there was a real possibility of me leaving this life early, including getting a life insurance policy and numerous prophetic words that I'd received. It was like they all came together in a moment and he put them in my heart and it all was confirming that I was near death. And after this whole barrage of reminders about these prophetic markers that I had experienced in my life, the Spirit of God came upon my heart and said, prepare to die. You might be thinking, does God really do this? And I would remind you about Peter and Paul, who both knew that the time of their death was coming near. Or the Old Testament king that was told he was going to die, and he pleaded with God for 15 more years, and it was given to him. God is in the business of telling his saints when it's their time. Because it's a glorious time. Actually, it's a promotion. <laughs> it's a promotion. And I, I said to the Lord, I remember throwing this fleece out. I said, God, if this is really you, you have to speak to my wife. Because the last time I tried to tell her that I was dying, she didn't receive it. She's a stubborn woman, Lord. But I know you can break through. So it was later that afternoon, I was watching the children play. And my wife came out to meet with me up in the backyard. And she had, you know, kind of a somber look. And I, could, I didn't know what was going on, but it seemed like she was building up her courage. And she said, there's something I've got to tell you. She said, all morning long, I've been having this recurring vision of being at your funeral. I said, that's it. And just the sobriety of it came over me. I said, this isn't just me eating too much pizza last night. God is speaking this over my life, and I shared with her everything that the Lord had spoken to me, and we both wept, and I want to tell you, it was a very weighty word, and it stayed with me over the next weeks, it's like waking up, and every day you've got this word over you that you're going to die, and I, I went in, and I said, well, Lord, what does it look like to prepare to die, and he began to give me a list of things that he wanted me to get in order, 
One of those things um, was just my financial affairs. We'd gotten a $1.5 million insurance policy, and there were specific things that needed to be done around that. Um, the Lord told me, I want you to write letters to your family members, to your wife and to your children. I'm going to share those with you this morning. They're very personal. Um, I didn't think, I, I just read them the other day, and they just really brought me back in to the moments that I was walking through as I was writing those letters. Um, but I think it's, I have never shared these letters publicly, but I just feel like with my church family that that was something that the Lord put on my heart. So I want to read those to you. They're very short, but very significant because I believe the Lord's going to use that to bring you into the moment that I was walking through as I wrote those letters. Um, and then he began to talk to me about my funeral. And he began to download me with, you know, things that he wanted to happen at my funeral. He said, make a list of all your unsaved friends and family members. Get their addresses, their phone numbers, and their emails. And I want you to appoint someone who, upon your death, is going to contact each of those people and let them know that their plane tickets have been paid for, that their hotel has been paid for, and that their food has been paid for, that it was important to you that they be at this service. How many think you'd respond to a phone call like that from someone in your family? Airfare, hotel, and food is paid for. And then when they get to the hotel, the Lord said, I want you to have a CD there welcoming them there, sharing a little bit of your heart. And then I want you to do a video at the funeral sharing that this is no surprise to you, that you're in glory and share the gospel with those that have come to your service. And as I realized the Lord is actually turning my funeral into an outreach, I kind of got excited. I'm like, this is awesome. I mean, this is pretty cool, man. I mean, if you're going to go, this is the way to go, man. And then I got around to writing the letters, and I want to read those letters to you. The first one was to my wife, and uh, God had made some promises to us as a husband and wife that we would grow old together and that we would pass into the kingdom of God at the same time. And I know that it's popular church teaching to hold on to the promises of God, and I believe that absolutely. But there comes a time in every one of our lives, I believe, when the Lord will test our hearts by actually asking us to give those promises back to him. And this was one of those moments for me. Um, because he brought me to Abraham and Isaac. Isn't that exactly what happened there? I mean, the very son that he said he's going to bring, bless the nations through, he said, would you put him on the altar and give him back to me? And, and of course, Abraham passed the test. And so he was asking me to do that as well. This is my letter to my wife. How do I possibly tell you how I feel in this moment? You're my wife, the woman God chose for me. I can't believe I spent so much of my life looking for you, and yet you would only be revealed to me after Jesus had captured my heart. You were totally worth quitting smoking for, baby. That's an inside one, because the day that I quit smoking, the Lord said, you'll be blessed, and I met my wife that day. She was fiercely allergic, allergic to smoking, so that was an inside one. I'm so sorry I wasn't a better husband to you. I'm sorry for all the yelling and pride and stubbornness and needing to be right. I messed it up so many times. Now it seems like such foolishness. It's funny how being on the edge of death changes your perspective on a lot of things and how you value relationships. I wish we would have done marriage on fire from the beginning. That's a, my wife and I go out uh, on a date every week. It's called marriage on fire. 
you're totally worth spending that time with and listening to, honey. You're such an awesome wife. Wow, God really blessed me. I've watched such an amazing work of Jesus in your life. I pray the Lord will give you great strength and grace to continue on being a great mommy. I wish I was going to be with you through it all. I love you so much. And I wrote down that I was crying at that time. I know our Jesus will be with you. He's so good. I don't understand this totally, but I trust the Lord. Part of me hopes you'll never have to read this letter. Be strong and courageous. That's your name. Live for the Lord. I pray that God will bring many into the kingdom through your testimony. You're such an awesome evangelist. I remember all the powerful promises that God has given us that we would grow old and leave this world together. That promise encouraged me so many times when I didn't know what would happen. The promise that the knife would never strike our family. God has been so true to his promises to us. Sometimes it's so hard to lay down those promises and trust God, but where else would we go? He's the one who gave us all the promises and gave us our family. Surely we can trust him with our family. I remember the day I was challenging him about not being able to trust him with our family. And he said, I'm trying to figure out if I can trust you with my family. Wow, he really flipped the script on me. He was right. I was the one who needed to be tested and approved. I was the one in need of transformation. I wish I would have gotten further along in that process. But I have a wonderful hope that Jesus who started this work in me will finish it. And when I greet you in the kingdom of God, we'll be rejoicing together forever with our glorious God and Savior. Ask God to show you who our trusted advisors, and I listed some names, and listen to their counsel, but most of all, listen to the Lord. He will be faithful to guide you in everything. And I gave her instructions about the $1.5 million. And then I said, my deepest desire is that somehow by God's grace, I would demonstrate the faithfulness of God as a husband. I want so badly to present you as a spotless bride without blemish to Jesus. You're so beautiful. I love you so much. I know someday the Lord will reveal my heart for you, and I hope it overwhelms you. You're so precious, Casey. I remember your sister Valerie saying that you were a prize, and you are. She's right on. I only wish I had the wisdom to let you know more often how beautiful and how wonderfully God made you. I want you to know his passion for you because I can feel it. I pray in these few years that separate us that God will give you strength, that he'll be close to you when you call his name, that he'll wrap his arms of love and grace around you always. I love you with the love of God and miss you already in the weakness of a man. Your adoring husband, Stephen. That was the only letter that I could write that day. I was a mess after that. And the next day, I wrote this letter to my daughter, Grace. Grace Ariel Ugin, how I love you. When I first met you, it was a total surprise to me. Your mommy and I were apart for a while because we didn't know any better and we didn't obey the Lord. And when we finally met again, there you were in mama's belly. I dropped to my knees and kissed you. I loved you the moment I knew you were my baby girl. You're so special, you came out with gold dust all over you. Daddy didn't really know how to be a daddy when you came. We made lots of mistakes when you were really little. But because of God's goodness, 
you've turned out to be such an incredible little girl, and you're going to be such a strong woman of God. I'm so proud of you. You're so honest about how you feel. Daddy can understand so well when you say your heart hurts. My heart hurts right now writing this to you. I don't want to leave you, but God says to be ready to go. If you're reading this, it's because the Lord called Daddy home to be with God. You may not understand why now, but someday you will understand. Daddy doesn't fully understand, but I know that God is good and he knows what's best for us, even if it's hard for us to understand. Keep loving God and trusting him. He'll watch over you. I wish I could hold you right now and kiss your face. Someday soon we'll be together again with the Lord. Remember to follow his ways and live for him alone. You're the firstborn, so be a good example to your brothers of how to honor your mommy. Please use your prophetic gift from God to encourage your mom and speak words of comfort to her and to your brothers as the Lord gives them to you. I heard God through you so many times. You're so sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you'll grow in grace into the fullness of that gift. I remember when I'd hear you say, Daddy, can we talk? Then you would share something that God put on your heart and it would be right on. Keep speaking the truth that God gives you in gentleness and kindness. You encouraged me so many times. I remember one day I wasn't feeling that great and you made a card and gave it to me. It said, you're a good daddy. I cried because I didn't feel like a good daddy that day, but God was encouraging me through you. Your husband is going to be so blessed to have you for a wife. I want to share just a little aside story before I finish this letter. There was a time that I had been in worship earlier uh, when my daughter was four years old. And I had come into a vision of being at her wedding. And in that vision, I was dancing the father-daughter dance with her. And I remember thinking to myself, well, it's a little early, Lord. She's four years old. But as we danced, she turned to me and she said, Daddy, thank you for showing me what Jesus looks like. And the Spirit of God came to me and he said, Stephen, that will be your reward if you obey me as it relates to your children. I will give you the highest honor a man can receive, that his children will say to him that they saw Jesus in him. And so I had held on to that promise. So as I'm writing the letter, I'm realizing I need to let that promise go. And as I was letting these promises go, I felt, you know, like these huge ships in the dock when the, when the big steel cables are on them, kind of mooring them to the pier. As each of these promises were given back, I felt like one of those things just snap off. And it literally felt like the Lord was preparing my soul to pass from this life to the next. Your husband is going to be so blessed to have you for a wife. You are made to be a powerful partner in ministry and an awesome mom. You knew you were going to be a mom very early. Don't forget, we've been praying for your husband since you were a little girl. And then I say, don't even think about marrying anyone unless the Lord says that it's your husband. I believe the Lord will tell your mom and confirm anyone that you're supposed to marry. Honor her in the Lord by asking for her blessing. You see how I'm trying to kind of set it up to work here. If the Lord doesn't release a blessing through your mom, then don't marry that person. I just came out and said it, man. And I went on to, uh, it says, these are important safeguards for you because you can get swept into the emotion of the situation and not be able to hear God properly. Honor your mother and the Lord in this process and all will be well for you. There was one time when I was worshiping God when he gave me a picture of me dancing with you at your wedding. You were so beautiful. I remember having mixed feelings. It's hard for a daddy to give his little girl to a husband. But I knew that God had picked out your husband because we'd prayed for him so much when you were little. 
you and I were dancing and you turned to me and said, Daddy, thank you for showing me what Jesus looks like. I melted and wept when the Lord showed me this because I knew that is who God wanted me to represent to you. I wish I would have done a better job and spent more time showing you who Jesus is because he's so beautiful and kind and loving and patient. I love you so much, but I was not always kind. I yelled too much. I was too harsh. But I know that God will show you who Jesus really is. Before I knew Jesus, I didn't want to have kids because I was too selfish. I wanted to live for myself and not give up anything for anyone else. But after God brought you, I began to realize how foolish that kind of thinking really is. You are such an incredible gift to me, and I thank God for letting me have such an amazing daughter. You taught me so much about God. I remember when you were really little, you used to come up to me, and no matter what I was doing, you, you would hold your hands up to me and say, Uppy, which meant you wanted me to pick you up. One day God spoke to me after you did that and said, Stephen, that's how I want you to be with me. Come to me and say, Uppy. And I would do that many times when I was sad and just wanted God to pick me up and hold me. I could never say no to you when you asked me for Uppy, and God will never say no to you either. Remember, you can always go to him and say, Uppy, and he'll put you on his lap and hold you. You always smell so good. I love coming into your room at night and just watching you sleep. You're such a sweet, beautiful little girl. You just came in while I was writing this to you. You're such a beautiful dancer. God made you to worship him through songs and dancing, just like your mommy. May the Lord protect you from the evil one and guard your heart. May the Lord fill you continually with the Holy Spirit so that you can demonstrate his goodness and love to many and draw them into the kingdom because of the wholesomeness of your life before God. I'll see you soon. Love, love, love your daddy. The last letter I'm not going to read all to you, but it was written to my son Emmanuel. And when I got to the end of it, um, I was so overcome. I actually had a vision of my son Emmanuel at my funeral. And I just was overcome with grief. And the grief was rooted in this. I, I just knew that I wasn't going to be able to comfort him. I knew that I wasn't going to be there to explain why the Lord had taken his daddy. And I just had such a brokenness and anguish of my soul. I literally pushed myself back from the computer where I was typing and I ran into our guest bedroom and flung myself on the bed and just began crying out to the Lord and basically saying, God, I cannot take this burden and screaming at the time. I was literally writhing just in, angu in the anguish of the pain that was in my soul. I don't know how long that I was on that bed, but I know that I was undone by what I felt in my soul. And then the Spirit of God came and began to minister to me. And he said, Stephen, you know in my goodness, in a few moments, your son will be with you where you are. Meaning after I die, it'll just be a few moments and my son will be in the kingdom as well. He said, how do you think I feel being separated from my children forever? And as those words entered my spirit, waves of anguish began to come over me, literally unbearable anguish, as I realized and I was receiving what, how God feels with the prospect of being separated from his children forever. Literally, I was, I mean, I, my mouth was open, but the words would not come out. It was so 
incredibly painful to feel what he was feeling. And I don't know how long that lasted. I just know that I was totally undone. And then the Spirit came to me and he said this. He said, Stephen, I'm not going to take your life. The word over you is life. But there's no other way that I could take you into my heart than to bring you to this place. And I just wept for joy. And I want to say something to you, church. That moment has changed me forever. I can't walk by someone and get an unction from the Holy Spirit and not go talk to them about Jesus because I know how the Father feels about them and the idea of being separated from them forever. I get afraid, but that fear is nothing compared to the anguish that's in his heart. I felt like I tasted for the first time the anguish that Jesus experienced in the garden, and I know some of that was based on, you know, facing the sin of the world that was going to be heaped upon him, but I also believe that God was giving him a taste of the anguish that was in his heart so that he could say yes to the cross. I want to invite you to say yes to that baptism of anguish this morning. I just want to create an opportunity for people to respond to what the Lord is releasing this morning. I apologize for going a little long. Um, and I really appreciate you as a church family listening to, you know, what God was doing in my heart during this time because it changed me forever, and I hope in some small way it changes you. But I want to invite you, if you're struggling with fear, if you're struggling with apathy, if you're struggling with busyness, if you know in your heart you're not carrying this part of God's heart, that you would just respond to His Spirit this morning, come forward. I don't even know that we need to lay hands on you. I just believe the Spirit of God is here to come and impart to you. Everyone who, who brings their weak yes up to this altar, I believe the Lord's going to respond to you. And it may be immediately, or it may be over the next weeks when you least expect it. He's going to come in a personal way. He's going to impart this to your heart. I want to also challenge you as a church to get connected to the Mosaic groups. One of the ways that God begins to change your heart is you say yes and you put yourself in a context where he can begin to show you how he feels about the people in the neighborhoods and the people that this church is being called to reach. So if you're not part of a Mosaic group, pray about what God would have you connect with. I love what he's doing with this body to begin to get us into a missional focus because Jesus is burning for the lost. He is burning Secondly, I want to invite you and challenge you to something called Messenger Boot Camp, which is an eight-week intensive on intimacy with God and spirit-led evangelism. There's a couple people I was going to have share, but because of time I'm not. I encourage you to go out to the booth in the gathering area or talk to someone with a messenger shoot, shirt on. Saturdays for the next eight weeks, it's costly, but it'll change you forever. It'll cause you to be more effective as a partner of the Holy Spirit. To bring more in. Eternity is a really, really, really long time, beloved. Take people with you. Amen. The altar's open. Go ahead and come up if you feel God speaking to you in any way about fear or apathy or busyness. Pastor Jim, did you want to? Let's stand. Okay. Let's just open our hands. Those at the altar, those in the pews, let's just open our hands. So we open our hearts. Jesus.
Lord, I stand before you. To speak to you on behalf of us, this family here. And together, Lord, we repent. Lord, of our indifference and our selfishness. And Jesus, we do ask that you would heal our hearts and make them clean. And I'm asking in agreement with what has already been spoken that this day and in the days to come, you would open our eyes to the things that are unseen and show us how to love others as you have loved us. And that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. Jesus, come do this transformation in our hearts today. Lord, we receive fully the word that you have delivered today through your servant with gratefulness for what you have done in his heart and life. And Lord, with the anointing and with the assignment that you have given to him and the authority that he speaks that out of, we receive your word into our hearts. And may it bear much fruit that will remain, not just this day, but in the days to come and for eternity and for the sake of your kingdom. We bless, we thank you, Jesus. Oh God, we receive your heart today. And now, with open hands, I pray that you'll be filled afresh even this day with the immeasurable love of God the Father that you might be filled with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of His favor over your life. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that His love and mercy will chase you down each and every day of your life. For His glory, go in the blessing of the Lord. In Jesus' name.